If you had one shot, or one opportunity, seize everything you ever wanted, one moment, did you capture it, just let it slip, yo. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. Yeah, welcome back to the Roto Bomb Podcast, people. Pete Davidson here. You there. Little Marshall Mathers bringing us in. I thought that would be a good way to capture the gravity of the moment. It's Tuesday. We're in season. It's waiver wire time. We got one moment. We're going to capture it. We're going to let it slip. Fuck yeah, we're going to capture it. Now, I know we've got two different kinds of listeners right now. We've got two different types of dispositions. We've got a 1-0 disposition. You guys are ready to lean in. You're feeling good. You're feeling strong. And we've got that 0-1 disposition. Maybe you got a bad beat. Maybe you got an injury. Maybe you're looking at your team wondering what the hell you did last week or last month or whatever. But today's the day we can all jump in and start fixing these problems, right? The good news being that the requisite talent to fix said problems exists, and it's on the waiver wire as we speak. Uh, you know, Hopefully you guys had a good week one. Uh, as for me, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, I think most of our DFS folks are probably happy. All my stuff hit. Uh, I was profitable uh, in most of my GPPs, all of my cash. So uh, hopefully you all had sort of a similar experience. Um, feels good, but it's just step one, right? I mean, you know, we really want to sweep the DFS corners this year, uh, and we got 16 weeks to go. So hopefully this is just the beginning. Um, I- I've been talking about this for the last couple weeks, uh, but just to sort of keep keep you guys uh, updated on the goings-on. Uh, my goal is to slightly reshape uh, the content on Rotobond this year. Um, not so much to give you uh, different content, but to create a flow that's more efficient for me uh, so I can hit a lot of the timing stuff later in the week uh, better than I have in the past. Hopefully it works out. But essentially, I'm going to be putting more emphasis on this podcast um, and this week's going to be a little different because it's week one. I think next week also will be more traditional. But as we move through this season, you're going to see more information on this podcast and less in terms of me writing waiver wire blurbs every week. Because as returning people know, I mean, by the time we get to week eight, it's usually me retyping the same stuff over and over and over again. Um, so, you know, at a certain point, I'm going to be able to just put these guys' names on the list. And you guys are going to know what I think of them because I've told you like 20 times already. Um, so... In the past, I've had um, written obligations at WEI that I do not currently have. Uh, In some ways, I'm pumped out because they're going to cost me a little money. But hey, man, COVID hits us all in different ways. Um, You know, uh, I'm lucky that EEI is keeping me whole in a lot of other ways. So um, I'm not trying to throw my employer under the bus here. But the waiver wire is just going to work differently this year. I don't have to wake up and do 2,000 words every Tuesday morning um, to get paid. So (laughs) I'm just being very straight about this. So what essentially what this is going to allow me to do is fit the process more to what I think it should be uh, versus you know, the editorial guidelines placed on me by someone else. Um, I'm actually pretty excited about it. I know for some of you, uh, you know, the, the shape of the container is going to be a little bit different sometimes. Hopefully you guys are cool with that. Again, I'm not going to try to have any information that was there that isn't going to be there now. We're just going to reshape it a little bit. And the goal for me is that I create a lot of time for myself Tuesday afternoons and Wednesday mornings. Um, to really get started on my DFS process. The goal is that I want to get the rankings up earlier on Thursdays, uh, and I really want to be able to have less to do with the rankings updates than I've done in the past. I want to get more work done early. Um, So Friday and Saturday can really be 
about DFS and getting that content out to you guys. I don't want to have to push the DFS podcast to Sunday morning, which happened way too many times last year. And I mean, you know, hopefully you guys understand that that's me saying, I don't think this is good enough right now. And I'm not going to put out a B podcast when I think if I just give it another 10 hours of time, I can get myself to you know, what I think is my, you know, okay, actually, it's a better way of putting it, a, 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 B, a B-level Pete Davidson podcast. I wanted to get it to an A-level Pete Davidson podcast, and I think the way that happens is creating a little bit more time for me during the week. You know, one thing about Rotobon, I write everything, I edit everything, I produce everything, I do all the research, so I'm a one-man band. I'm like playing the cymbals with my knees and, you know, <laughs> the bass line, you know, with like a rubber band. So I'm doing the best I can, and it's really, anytime I can get my order of operations in a more efficient way, it's going to be better for me, it's going to be better for you guys. So sorry for the long wind-up on that, um, and really, this isn't going to affect you guys this week. This is going to be traditional stuff, and again, because I know... Week one and week two waiver wire are really where so much of the money is made in seasonal. We know that. So, you know, what this podcast is going to allow me to do as it's, you know, I started doing this two years ago and I really liked it. And I the feedback from you guys was positive. So I want to keep going in this direction where I can talk to you versus write at you. Because I, th- I think sometimes you can hear the excitement in my tone of voice. You can be like, hey, Pete likes this guy. I can tell just because I know Pete and he's fired up, you know. Um, so you can't see that in my writing the way you can see it in the broadcasting. Um, now, it was sort of an interesting week one, right, in that like a lot of the guys that I want to go after are, are guys that the Rotobonners, that you and me, we, we already have them, right? I mean, a lot of our guys hit. So now that creates an interesting situation. I actually have a team without cuts. I have one team where I didn't miss. And so now I'm going to be, I'm sure there are a couple of you that are in a similar situation, especially if you have short benches and we were dealing with, you know, higher percentage hits. Um, so if you don't have cuts... Obviously, the first thing you need to do is really grind that and find out, well, maybe I do have a cut. Maybe this guy, maybe I have a defense I can cut. Maybe I have a second quarterback that I don't need. Um, and one thing that you absolutely have to look at, um, because some, for, you know, we're all sort of regimented, but some leagues, the commissioners have opened up IR where there was an IR in the past because of COVID. So if you have just a couple names off the top of my head, like a... Uh, Damian Samuels, excuse <laughs> Damian Harris. I combined them. Damian Harris, Debo Samuel, um, in a deeper league like a David and Joku, guys who are now going to be out for three weeks, but you don't have to cut them. You can IR them. So that could be a, a potential solution for some guys. Maybe a couple players that we don't know about yet will go on that three week IR. So that's you know that's a thing. And I know that's obvious. I, I just but again, some leagues have added it. So you, like you may not think you have IR, but you actually do. So look into that just in case because it could open up an angle for you uh, to pick out a player without making uh, a cut. Okay, so um, before I start going through uh, the individual position groups, uh, I thought it would be a good idea to just sort of go through some injury news, um, just, you know, since that's the mover of a lot of the things we're going to be talking about over the next couple days. Um, and I'm going to go through, uh, actually, uh, uh, Matthew Betts's column. Uh, he's a good source. Uh, you can follow Matt at the Fantasy PT. Uh, he, you know, Matt's really good with the injury information, as we know. Um, we'll start with Marlon Mack out for the year. Um, that's going to have an effect on the value of Niam Hines. He's going to be a shiny object. We will talk about him later. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor is owned and is now basically an RB one. For those of you who went with the Roto Bond draft plan and got a got a piece of Taylor in some of your round threes, you're feeling very good. Um, George Kittle hyperextension. 
uh, wow, sort of similar to last year. It's almost it was almost like we were watching 2019 play out again. Um, so Kittle has got a knee thing. He's going to be questionable this week. Um, you know, he's got two backup tight ends there. Um, you know, in Dwelly and in Reed, both of them could be viable. Probably there are better options to grab during the week. Uh, but Kittle is, you know, it's important really, I think, just in terms of, you know, if you have Kittle and no backup, you need to start game planning for this week. Um, Le'Veon Bell, it sounds like he's going to be out two weeks, so Frank Gore is in play. We'll have to look at the status of LaMichael Pirine, uh, who's working on an ankle injury, and then Josh Adams, who, you know, uh, you know, he's nothing to write home about, but if Josh Adams is going to be getting a significant amount of work, um, he's actually worth something. He's a big back who can gain some yardage and he'll catch a ball here or there. Um, so this is something that may play out over the week uh, when the Jets start giving us an indication as who, in terms of who's going to do what. But the, the one thing you got to remember here is the Jets are going to play the 49ers. They are not going to run the ball well against the 49ers. They're not going to be in a position to run the ball, even if they can run the ball against the 49ers. So this is a low upside thing as far as this week goes. Uh, the real value would be if it stretches into week three. Uh, Michael Thomas with the left ankle sprain week to week. My gut says he will play. Uh, but we'll just sort of have to see how that all shakes out. Sanders' value goes up if nothing happens. If uh, excuse me, if uh, Thomas is not able to go, and then additionally, Traquan Smith would become you know a viable flex play uh, in that scenario. Uh, Devontae Parker likely out for week two with a hamstring. Obviously, that makes Preston Williams viable, makes Mike Gesicki more viable. Not sure that there's anybody out there on the waiver wire that I want to pick up at this point. I'll grind through that, but it's going to be a low priority ad. Uh, Blake Jarwin out for the year. That creates some tight end need for some people. I don't think it makes Dalton Schultz tight end viable. I think it just makes all three of their wide receivers worth more. Uh, I think it, you know, probably swings some targets Zeke's way and Pollard's way. But I think the primary beneficiaries of this injury uh, are going to be C.D. Lamb and Gallup. Um, and obviously, <laughs> those guys aren't sitting around them any waiver wires. If for some reason C.D. Lamb is available, move heaven and earth to go get him. Uh, Duke Johnson out for a week only enhances uh, the value of the other Johnson. Uh, Duke's thing doesn't look like it's a very long-term thing. I, I saw the injury. It really didn't look like much. Uh, Jordan Howard with the hamstring strain. He's week to week. Uh, I don't think Miles Gaskin's a thing unless you play in a really deep league. Uh, you know, if you're just scrambling to come up with some scratch statistics at running back, maybe he could help. I think um, more work for Matt Breida is probably the outcome. Uh, David Njoku's MCL sprain brings him to the short-term IR. That's going to make Austin Hooper more valuable. Could give Harrison Bryant a little bit of value in really deep leagues with maybe a, a premium tight end distinction. And the next one I think is important because Justin Jackson, who we know is banged up throughout camp, uh, apparently picked up a quadriceps injury early in the game. That opened the door for a lot of Josh Kelly. You know, Kelly looked okay. He looked like the back that we saw uh, in college. He's not going to make much on his own, but he's got speed, he's got some size, and he's a functional receiver. So to the extent that he's getting touches, uh, he should be worth something. You know, unfortunately, I don't think that's a great offensive platform. Um, so, you know, Eckler's still clearly the back to own there, particularly particularly uh, in PPR, but Kelly is now running as the clear number two, and there's no way that's going to change uh, until Jackson can come back and then outplay him, and we'll have to wait for that to play out. So uh, right now it's Eckler, Kelly, who's worth a pickup in leagues where, you know, you've got enough bench space uh, with Jackson now bringing up the rear. Uh, James Conner. 
What a bad beat. Left ankle sprain early in the first game. Um, so that puts our guy Benny Snell. You guys know we love him. Um, and this is a live situation. Um, you know, Snell, you know, I hate to say it, but, if, you know, as far as early down running is concerned, I don't think it's close. I think Snell's better. And the, and the Steelers do care about the early down running. Now, Connor has a broader skill set. Connor is a good early down runner in his own right. I don't want to, I'm not dogging James Connor. I like James Connor. But if Benny Snell's going to get a look here, we could have a problem. Because for all we know, Benny Snell could just run so damn well. You know, the, you know, the, the Steelers will come out and say something like, well, Connor, we're going to work Connor back in slowly. And by the time he's worked back in, he's sort of riding side saddle. I mean, that's a potentiality here. So hopefully in big leagues, you guys had, Lent, you know, Benny Snell. We had him as the clear handcuff. He was available. Um, if you're in a shorter league, you're going to have a tougher situation. But I would probably go get Snell and protect yourself until this situation plays out. In deeper PPR formats, Jalen Samuels could be a thing. Uh, it probably def- depends on, you know, how serious the Connor thing is. Now, Connor stayed on the sideline throughout the game. He didn't leave. There was some doubt as to whether he was going to come back. This does not look like a serious injury. Um, So, you know, we're going to have to sort of let this thing play out. If the Steelers later today come out and say, Connor uh, will probably practice this week. He's questionable for this week. He's not going to lose his job. He's our lead back. Then we can reevaluate things. But the thing to understand here is that Benny Snell is a real thing. He runs like a Steeler back is supposed to run. And the Steelers do have a tendency once they decide who the guy is, that's the guy. So Benny Snell, particularly in bigger leagues, might be sitting out there because a lot of people disrespect this guy. Benny Snell doesn't have speed. He's not a particularly exciting player, and he's not a, he's not great in the pass game. Um, he was a guy a lot of people like, why do they even take this guy? He's garbage. Folks, Benny Snell is not garbage. It's the best time. I mean, he just he isn't. He's a good running back. Um, so this is a situation to take seriously. Um, and again, if he's out there in any format, he should be taken off that wire this week. I don't care how small your league is, because if it plays out in Snell's favor over the next couple weeks, he could end up being worth a ton. Okay, Philip Lindsay is going to be out likely for week two with turf toe. Turf toe, we know, is a messed up injury that can sort of, you know, it can snowball depending on, you know, where the exact area is that we're talking about. Sometimes these things have a bone-on-bone element to it. Um, you know, you never know what's really going on with guys with turf toe. It happens to be an injury I've suffered with. It can be debilitating when it gets bad. So probably Lindsay's just a rest thing and he's back for week three. Maybe he even, you know, takes a shot and gets in there somehow for week two. But the thing to understand here, because obviously everybody's got Gordon, that's not a thing. But Royce Freeman is now in play, especially in deeper leagues. Freeman gets in there next week. He runs out. You know, he, he the guy balls out. He goes crazy, and Lindsey has the thing where, you know, hey, why don't we just let Lindsey get 100% healthy? You could end up getting a three, four week run of Royce Freeman, and and who the hell knows? I mean, this backfield has three backs who are all capable of being the lead back. Um, so you know, in deeper leagues, Freeman is now in play. Uh, Mid sized to small leagues, probably not, but he's definitely a name for everybody to know. Um, sometimes guys get left for dead and Freeman is sort of like Snell in that people have sort of decided he's a dog. I honestly don't think that's the case. Um, so that does it for most of the high profile injuries that we have as I'm recording late morning. Um, if we have anything new that pops out throughout, you know, throughout the course of the day, I will include that in the last update or before the last update, uh, on the written waiver wire. 
Uh, and having uh, said all that, let's get into the quarterbacks. Okay, so the first quarterback up on the docket is going to be Philip Rivers, Colts. Um, obviously, if you're a Colt fan, you're probably dropping him, which is great. Some of us are going to go pick him up. We don't really care if he blows the game. We just want our fantasy stats. Uh, so, you know, obviously a lot to like here with Rivers. He's got a lot of talent around him. He's good at distributing the football. He's got a good offensive line in front of him. They're down one running back, which means they'll probably, you know, run just a smidge less since they no longer have... Uh, the redundancy at the position, I think that could lean in to a little bit more in terms of targets for the rookie, for Paris Campbell, for T.Y. Hilton, for some of these tight ends, for Naeem Hines, maybe even for Taylor himself. It's a good thing. Should give Rivers a little bit more fantasy appeal. And again, the things we like about this offense are the things we talked about in preseason. Um, and it's the reason I moved Rivers up towards the end. This offense is well designed for what he does. Now, is he going to be a smash? I don't think he's going to be a smash on many weeks, but I think he's going to give you a lot of playable weeks. And the thing is, it's the schedule, right? I mean, do you just is he a lock and load guy? No, but he's got the Jets week three, you know, Cleveland week five, Bengals week six, Detroit week eight. He's got. Um, He's got at least a couple more good matches. What uh, Green Bay on the 11th. The playoff matchups are pretty good, except for the uh, Steelers Week 16. So Rivers is a guy you're going to be able to put there, put in the put in your lineup more often than not. Um, and again, the the structure around him. Uh, is very sound. Uh, now, as for Gardner Minshew, um, God, there was a lot to like there. Um, he's, you know, he's processing. They look like a throw-first team. Uh, everything we liked about Minshew was on display. Um, but you know, again, if you look at the schedule. Next week isn't great Tennessee, but Miami, Cincinnati, Houston, Detroit, Houston again, Cleveland. You know, uh, there's some good matchups coming up in the mid part of the season. Now, for the playoffs, you're not going to want Minshew. He's not going to be your QB1 anyway, but in a deep league, if you need a backup or if you need to start streaming at some point through the middle part of the season, I think Minshew can help you. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, Panthers. Uh, I was really impressed with what I saw from Bridgewater yesterday just in terms of him really having control of the offense, his rhythm, his timing, his feel for what was going on, his understanding of where the open man was, all typical stuff, all the all the things that we're, you know, we're used to seeing from Teddy. Now, his ball placement left something to be desired, I would say. You know, 20 or 30% of his throws, I felt, could have been better thrown just in terms of the ball placement. I think that's going to come. Remember, this is a guy who was out for a long time. He got a brief run last year when Breeze was hurt, and then he got yanked. Um, this really is the first time he's had control of, his, of an offense in a long time. Uh, and I have to say, I thought he looked great, except for the ball placement. His mobility was good. He was totally in command, barking orders, moving guys around pre-snap. Everything looked good. This is a team that's going to be trailing. Uh, I think Teddy Bridgewater really is a decent guy to pick up. Um, and really, if I had him or Minshew, I think I would take Bridgewater. Uh, Kirk Cousins, not exciting, but he's on a team that's you know run by somebody who's really good at what he's doing in Kubiak. Um, and there's no way he's going to lose his job. So he's always got some value. Tannehill would have similar appeal. Um, you know, I, I don't think you're going to have tons of smash weeks. Uh, but Tennessee is going to be in any kind of game that they're in. There's nobody that's going to just sort of blow them off the field. Um, and it was good to see him have a third target come alive in Corey Davis. Uh, they've got a good matchup next week, um, although their schedule then goes into a tough spell, uh, and but then comes back into a really good spell the rest of the way, um, starting week six, Houston, Cincinnati. Then you got the Colts week 10, Colts again week 12, Browns, Jacksonville. There's some good matchups in there. Um, and then we get down to 
some guys who I just think we should talk about. Justin Herbert for the Chargers. You know, the way Tyrod played um, said to me that Herbert is going to be in there sooner rather than later. So if you're in a, you know, a, a super flex or a 2QB and he's sitting out there, short bench or whatever, uh, he might be a good guy to grab if you're looking for an upgraded quarterback, if you, you know, if, you, if your quarterback stinks, your second quarterback, or if you're relying on Tyrod. I think the switch is going to happen sooner rather than later. Um, Mitch Trubisky, I'm just going to bring it up because, look, he's got the job. He battled through enough to get you another start. Um, and, you know, look, he's a guy who's a good athlete. He gives you foot points. You know, as I say in the uh, write-up, he's, you know, he's Josh Allen light. He's a poor man's Josh Allen. Um, you know, and in a 2QB format or in a really deep league, uh, he's a guy you can throw in there. He'll get you some foot points. Um, you know, he ended up above 20. He did it. You know, that's he's sort of, you know, a modern-day Blake Bortles. Not that... Bortles was from a bygone era or something. Anyway, that's what I have for quarterbacks this week. If you guys, for some reason, have tricky quarterback situations, which I really wouldn't anticipate, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. I'll tell you what I think. But at this point, ideally, we're cutting quarterbacks to pick up um, surging players at other position to improve our base. We can always go back and add a second quarterback later, um, unless you're in a really deep league. I mean, and you know, that's one thing I always hammer, know your league, know your league. If, you, if you're in a league where the quarterbacks are all snatched up, and if you drop a quarterback, he'll get snatched up, then quarterback's not a cut. You do need to have redundancy just in case and for bye weeks and so on and so forth. Um, okay, let's get down to these running backs, and boy, is there a lot to talk about. So what I want to do here is just go through these guys one by one. I will get them in the best order I can. Uh, in the final waiver wire, but it really, you know, this is obviously going to be about who might be available in your league. If any of these really good players are available, you got to find a way to go after them. Uh, maybe even cutting a receiver that you don't want to cut. Uh, and obviously, like I said earlier in the podcast, for those of you who did well, um, you know, if you have LaVisca and Paris Campbell and guys like that who hit, um, you know, you might want to go out there and look to make a two-for-one deal today. Maybe you're lucky and your uh, waiver bids aren't due till tomorrow afternoon. And you've got some time to see if you can grind out a roster spot. Um, but hey, you know what? Having guys hit is a good problem to have. So um, we already talked about Benny Snell. Uh, and you guys know, as I say in the article, look, I'm a big James Conner fan. This isn't about James Conner. It's about Benny Snell. If he gets a good look, it's possible he could take this gig. Okay, I don't think it's necessarily... An eventuality. I don't necessarily think that's what's going to happen, but it could. So really, he's a guy you want to get your hands on if you can, and particularly if you roster Connor. Even in short bench league, get both of these guys on your roster until you can figure out the situation. Now you could go bold, and you know I can see why you might want to go bold because there are some other guys. Zach Moss, um, you know. A lot of value in Zach Moss. Now, he's on the Bills, not the Steelers. The Bills use their backs differently than the Steelers. You know, the thing we love about the Steelers is that they will actually take a guy and make him a bell cow. I don't know if, if, if a bell cow is going to emerge on the Bills this season or not. But I'll tell you this. If a bell cow, you know, if a bell cow does emerge on the Bills, very high probability that it's Moss. Singletary can create... A troublesome fantasy backfield because he does have the talent to do that but the idea that Singletary is going to take everything I think is far-fetched the idea that Zach Moss could take everything less far-fetched now I think ultimately what we're going to see here is a share in the early down running 
but then Moss is going to get more of the passing down work and more of the goal line work, which is going to make him the more valuable back. He could move into weekly RB2 status in a secure kind of way. Uh, so to me, if Zach Moss is sitting out there on your wire, you got to go after him. Uh, James Robinson, Jaguars. Now we talked about James uh, towards the end of the season. We talked about him on the DFS podcast the other day. Um, Hacksaw um, brought him up on the radio show, I don't know, was it two weeks ago? And I hadn't really um, watched his film in a while. And, you know, kudos to Hacksaw because he might have sort of pushed me in the right direction on this. But once I heard that Armstead had, like, real COVID for, like, the second time, I guess the first thing he had was a quarantine, but now he actually has it and it's real. Like, we don't know when he's going to be back. And Ozigbo hurt. So when I did my film dive on Robinson, it was, you know, he's exciting. I mean, he's a guy, he's a bowling ball styled runner with plenty of weight to him. He's in that 220 area. He's got excellent lateral agility, very quick feet for a guy who's that big, light, quick feet. And he's springy with some real explosion in him. I mean, he, he hurdled the guy and it was no fluke. I mean, he flew. So this is a guy, you know, because he played at a lower college level, because he didn't run fast, he got disregarded. But as I said, you know, before we actually finished drafting season, the film is intriguing. And now we have NFL film, right? So, I mean, I moved him to the top of the Jaguar pile, but now I'm going to move him past some guys who are on other teams because this guy ran well. There really isn't anybody on this roster who can take away his gig. It's it's a strange situation. We don't see this very much where a guy sort of comes out of nowhere and then all of a sudden has no competition. Fournette got removed for him. Ryquell got the COVID. Ozigbo has his own injury. Chris Thompson, we know, can only do so much for so long. As I said, the reason I was leaning in on Robinson for DFS last week is because I, Thompson, the, the beauty of Thompson right now is the guy who's putting him in there is the guy who's had him for years. Gruden knows this guy. He knows he's got some special skills, but he also knows you put him in for more than 20% of the action, he's probably going to get hurt. So to me, Robinson, yeah, sure, for a while he's going to lose third down work to CT, but once CT gets banged up, think about it, folks. Robinson's going to be the he's going to be the passing down back on this team unless they go out and get somebody else because it's it's not going to be Reichwell and it's not going to be Ozigbo. This guy's better in the pass. I like Ozigbo. I'm a fan. I love the way he runs, but as a three down back, no, I don't think so. So James Robinson, well, yeah, the Jaguars game script wise probably aren't going to be so great. And the Jaguars aren't a great team, and nor do they block it up real well. But this is a guy who can run in some tough sledding he'll still be productive because he's got you know again you can be explosive without being fast i'm not saying that from a speed standpoint he's gearing up on people or that he's really sudden with his first step or anything like that i'm not saying he's beating people to the corner but when it comes to just running in the nfl so much of it is about vision and your ability to navigate traffic your ability to switch lanes quickly your ability to get low to get out of sight this guy can do those things he's got a low center of gravity he's able to stay low and cut uh, this guy has got NFL skill set, excuse me, and NFL skill set. And again, the thing that makes him so compelling is the lack of competition where you would need it to take his value away. So to me, James Robinson, I, I'm going on and on about him. I know he's probably taken in most, most leagues, particularly bigger leagues, but he's a guy right now who should be owned in every single league, okay? Um, and so should Benny Snell, and so should Zach Moss. Um, now, Moving down, 
the Colts injury. Obviously, Mac opens up things. It, 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 it makes Taylor's ascent instantaneous. It looked like we were going to actually have to wait a couple weeks for Jonathan Taylor there. I mean, Mac was the Mac was the thing until he went down. So, you know, you caught a break if you're a Jonathan Taylor owner, because uh, I think it was going to take you another week or so maybe to get everything we wanted. Obviously, you got to feel bad for Marlon Mack. He was running fairly well. Uh, Nime Hines was available, excuse me, was involved before Mack got hurt. He had a role. So that role is definitely going to stay for when Taylor's the early down back. So to me, if you're in a PPR league, you know, even a mid-sized PPR league, I think Nime Hines is a guy to roster. Now, if you're in an eight-team league or a short bench 10-teamer, if you're in a non-PPR, you know, I could see there being better things to go after. But I think Nime Hines' value is definitely higher today uh, than it was going into week one. There's no doubt about it. Um, and let's get to the, you know, the guy who's going to be the shiny object um, and there's some iron, irony in this because he was the shiny object early um, last year for Rotobonners, uh, is Malcolm Brown. You know, and obviously uh, Malcolm Brown is going to be tricky here, right? Because he's in a backfield with two other backs who are both young, who both have draft capital over him. By the same token, he's playing ahead of those two guys and he's been in the system for four or five years or whatever. So Malcolm Brown... Uh, is a guy that is trusted by the coaching staff. We saw this last year, right? Uh, came in, did great things. Uh, th- here's the important thing to understand about Malcolm Brown. He's pretty good in passing situations for a big back, and he's a good goal line back. So th- he's probably going to have some value here for a while. In a deep league, I think he's a guy you can start probably for a couple weeks. In shallow leagues, maybe just a week or two longer. Who knows? Uh, but for sure, if you've got a running back problem going into next week, you can grab Malcolm Brown and play him. Um, you know, the, the reason I'm not going to put him up at the top, I mean, this is, I think, fairly evident, um, is just because I don't think he has a really good chance at taking the lead role and just owning it all year. I think the team wants to get the other players on the field. The thing is, and we've talked about this, COVID made it harder for rookies to learn. They want the rookie to get to the top. So, you know, we don't know how long it's going to take. We don't know how hard they're going to practice. So to me, I think if you're a person who is going to count on Acres and Malcolm Brown is out there, you want to aggressively go after Brown and lock that up because I do think it's going to be Acres or Brown. I really do. Um, and for other people, he's a way to, sh- to fill a short-term void. Um, he's also maybe a guy to pick up, hope for one more good week and sell. You know, that's another way to look at it. But for me, I'm more interested in Snell. Moss and Robinson than I am in Brown just because I think they have more of an opportunity to become the guy in that backfield. In Robinson's case, it's a question of whether he's going to not become the guy or be, or unbecome the guy, okay? Um, so Malcolm Brown, absolutely talented guy. For anybody who really wants to know what I think about Malcolm Brown, go back and read the waiver wires from early last year. I, I, I thought he was a, a, a blinking green pickup. Unfortunately, he got a little dinged up. You know, Gurley came in and they, they sort of, out of respect to Gurley, I think, um, sort of kept Malcolm Brown down. But, you know, Gurley's not around this time. This could last for a couple weeks. If you need a short-term running back injection, he could be an answer, particularly if all these other guys are rostered. Um, and, you know, one more la- you know one last point to make on these running backs and a lot of guys on the wire this week. There are a lot of guys, okay? One thing you can do, and I know a lot of people don't do this, you're in a 12-team league, pull up the roster grid. Okay, and go through the roster grid, isolate the obvious cuts on every single roster. It shouldn't be hard in a short-term league. 
look up the number of cuts, all right? And then, you know, think about your budget. If there are 20 guys worth cutting in your league and there's 20 guys on the waiver wire, well, guess what? The tail end of those 20 guys are going to come in pretty cheap. So this could be a week, you know, rather than trying to go out and win the two guys you love the most when there's two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe even 10 guys behind them that aren't far off, just throw a wide net at a bargain price and see who comes through, you know, um, you know, don't bet the, don't bet the, the room on Snell, you know, bet, you know, bet an effective, maybe I'll get him bet at Snell, throw the same amount at Moss, the same amount at Robinson, the same amount at Brown, or, you know, stagger them down a couple bucks each and hope to get a bargain. And you can do the same kind of thing with the receivers. There are a lot of guys out there this week who are going to help us. This is going to continue to shake out. Next week is also going to be productive. And with COVID and all the injuries that are going to be happening because of a shortened camp, this is going to be a year where some weeks you're going to have to make moves because maybe you lose a handful of players. Because again, it's not just injury that's going to take players from us this year, right? We can lose guys because family members get COVID and they have to stay home or or whatever, right? Um, so you know, you really want to think about your bids maybe in a slightly different way. For, for folks who've been um, Rotobond listeners for a long time, I'm a big empty the bucket guy in weeks one and two. Like, I don't mind going into like week four, you know, having just a couple scraps left in my fab budget. It doesn't bum me out at all. There's two reasons for this. First of all, I get more return on my investment when I'm buying guys going into week two because I'm going to get 15 weeks out of them if they hit right? So, you know, that's really one reason, maybe the biggest. But the other is that on the Rotobon wire, as you guys will find, as the season goes on, I tend to become more and more contrarian in terms of the guys I'm willing to pick up. I'm looking for guys based on usage, not fantasy point production. You know, fantasy point production is the shiny object. Talent, usage, scheme fit, you know, that kind of stuff. The evolution of rookies, guys who are coming back from injuries, you know, figuring out when those guys are going to hit that's important. Remember last year, I was telling you guys, get A.J. Brown, get A.J. Brown. It's just a matter of time, you know, and it was. So, and, you know, he's just one guy on the list. So we're going to have those guys this year. There are going to be guys where I'm saying, pick them up now, pick them up now, pick them up now. So it's okay to blow through money. I'm a big proponent of blowing through money, but this is also a year to think long-term with your fab budget. And just because... And this is particularly true if you're a good team because you know you're going to have crucial situations down the line. If you're a team that you think is already in trouble, well, then maybe you have to take, you know, grander measures because, you know, why save for later what may not matter later, right? But this, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I'm babbling a little bit here, but this is a year to be, for me, a little bit more tight-fisted with the fab budget. Now, and again, that actually works for what's going on this week because there are a lot of guys who are worth chasing. And we're going to get into that right now. So sticking with the running backs, um, you know, some of these guys are guys where I'm, you know, their talent ads where I think they're going to break later. Some of these guys are guys where we saw them getting playing time, you know, last week and suddenly we think their value is higher. Some of these guys are stashes, yada, yada, yada. Different horses for different courses. Obviously, in, I know a lot of you guys are in sharky leagues where, you know, only a handful of the guys I'm even going to talk about are available, you know, apologies. Um, 
AJ Dillon, just going to hit on him, didn't do much. He's going to be getting dropped in some leagues. So he's a guy I want you to keep tabs on this week. If you play in a mid-sized to large league and somebody out of frustration drops AJ Dillon, I strongly recommend you, pick, you recommend that you pick him up, particularly in leagues that are not full PPR. Uh, Daryl Williams of the Chiefs, yeah, he's the clear backup to Clyde's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but if you don't think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a little more in jeopardy of getting concussed when he's getting hit by all these monsters, and come on, if you watch that game, he got lit up a few times. Um, you know, I personally think there's a really good chance that Edwards-Hilaire is going to miss a game or two this year. Um, you know, concussion, just, you know, shoulder, you know, he's going he's gonna to get hit. Um, in ways he didn't get hit even in the SEC. So to me, Daryl Williams is a guy you absolutely want if you can go get him. Just a real quick reminder, Darrell Williams is a big back with good goal line chops. He's a smooth receiver. So he's not a speed guy. He's a good at the game kind of running back. You know, he's sort of a smooth runner with a long body. He gets good leverage on people. He's got a good stiff arm, catches the ball real well, and boy, can he attack the pylon when he's when he's headed for the edge. So I like Darrell Williams. And, you know, if anything were to happen to our guy, uh, I think Williams becomes a two-thirds factor in that backfield, and he is a high-end RB2 every single week. So Darrell Williams in big leagues has to be rostered. He probably already is. In mid-sized leagues, should be rostered. Um, and, you know, even in some smaller leagues, if the bench size is there, he's worthy of consideration. Uh, Josh Kelly on the Chargers, um, obviously, um, you know, with what's going on there, um, with the injury to Jackson, uh, we talked about this earlier, um, Josh, Josh Kelly is now clearly the big back. Um, he's going to get some goal line carries. He was active uh, inside uh, the red zone. Um, so to the extent that Jackson isn't back and to the extent that Jackson doesn't come back and take uh, Kelly's job away from him, he's going to have weekly value, particularly in big leagues. He's got touchdown scoring potential, and he can catch the football. That's one thing we knew about him. He can catch the football. So Josh Kelly uh, is a guy I'm sort of, you know, sort of finding Jesus on now that he's got a gig. Uh, I don't love this guy. I think he's sort of ordinary, but he does have size, speed, and a broad skill set. So he, you know, he's capable. The problem for him, for me, is just I don't think the Chargers block it up all that great. I think they're going to be in a lot of negative game scripts. So I think they lean to the pass catching back anyway. Um, uh, next up, Damian Harris, Patriots. Obviously, he's a guy who's getting dropped. Um, and I think if, particularly for people who have uh, an IR spot, maybe somebody dropped him, didn't realize they could keep him, that kind of thing. I still think Harris, in a week or two, when he gets back, let me see, missed one, probably, what, week four probably is when he gets back. Um, you know, for all we know, he hits the ground running and takes that gig because uh, he's the healthiest guy there. He's young. He's got fresh legs. Uh, and I think he's a guy who's more talented than a lot of people re people realize. Damian Harris can play all three downs, good pass protector, good blocker, doesn't fumble. You know, I could definitely see why he could get control of that early down running job. And, you know, when you're doing it with, with Cam Newton as your quarterback who's, you know, creating lanes for you, uh, that can be value. And obviously the Patriots are a team that looks like they're going to be able to get some touchdown chances. So Damian Harris should not be sitting on waiver wires if you can stash him, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Boston Scott, 
still a guy I want to roster, but he got knocked out of the game, didn't really uh, get his mojo back. I do believe he was available towards the end, but didn't play a whole lot. Um, the key with Scott, obviously, is going to be his health going forward and the status uh, of Sanders. We don't know that yet. Um, and so before he's down on the list, but we should also talk about Clement. I'll just jump to him now since we're on the Eagles. Clement could, for all we know, Clement's the starter this week. So in deeper leagues, roster him because you might be able to get a start out of him. Uh, if he gets the start, that probably means there isn't really another uh, back around who's going to give him much um you know, in terms of a rest. Uh, so Clement could be a guy this week. Um, we may find out information by the end of the day that sort of kills that little dream. But, you know, keep an eye on Corey Clement. Don't forget about him. Uh, Peyton Barber. You know, Peyton Barber's a guy who's going to get some touchdown chances. He's going to get some short yardage chances. I don't think he's going to do a whole lot else. Uh, but for now, um, if you need help at your RB2 spot and a guy who's got a puncher's chance at a touchdown and 40 yards every week lights your fire... Peyton Barber, for at least a while, is going to be that guy. Um, next up is Chase Edmonds. Now, I'm a big fan of Chase Edmonds, uh, as most of you know. Um, and he got, like I guess, some more looks in the passing game than Drake. I have not watched that game yet. I've gone through about eight of the games film-wise. As soon as I'm done with the waiver um, wire initial write-up, I'm going to get back into film, and you'll see some waiver wire updates based on that. So you may see an update um, on the 49ers game, because that's one I haven't gotten to yet, um, as I just mentioned. Um, so, you know, I when I look at that game, I may have a little bit of a different take on this, but here's the thing. I know people are upset that Drake didn't get more targets, but here's the thing. Kenyon Drake's a good receiver. One of the reasons we like him so much is because he's good in the pass game. So just because he maybe only caught two targets this week, the thing to know is he was getting the carries, he was getting the playing time, um, and, it, you know, he did score a touchdown, right? Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> I, I'm not going to freak out about Kenyon Drake. He's still the lead guy. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, there were a couple snaps where they played together based on the stats. But look, Edmonds played 34% of the snaps. Um, this 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 timeshare is not a timeshare. Drake's the lead guy. Edmonds is the backup. They're both good quality backs. I strongly recommend, if you're a Drake owner, going to get Edmonds owner. But not because of what happened week one. Just because Edmonds is an excellent guy who's going to probably get the full gig if Drake goes down. Um, so love Chase Edmonds as an anti-fragility guy. You can stash on your bench. Um, you can even throw him in there and hope for a cheap touchdown like we got last week. Uh, and he's a great redundancy guy to have uh, if you've got Kenyon Drake in a deep league. Next up, Daryl Henderson Rams. Uh, the few times I saw him out there, I thought he looked like he had some burst. Still a guy who's worth keeping at the end of your bench in a midsize or a large league. Uh, Chris Thompson, Jaguars, we already hit him. He's going to have some, some PPR appeal, probably in deeper PPR leagues. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, uh, haven't watched that game yet. I did see a couple clips of him. He looked okay. Uh, I can't wait to watch that full 49ers game. Uh, there should be a little bit firmer take on that backfield maybe in the late wire. Obviously, most of the guys in San Francisco are rostered already, uh, but McKinnon could be worth a look for some of you. Uh, Adrian Peterson put up some yardage, looked good. Obviously, I think he's going to 
slowly but surely fade as these other guys gain uh, health. Um, Swift looked really good, except for dropping the game-winning touchdown, but they're fully committed to him. He's going to get plenty of chances. I strongly feel that Swift, within two to three weeks, is going to be the back-to-own here. Uh, but for now, Peterson can give you a little run if you need it. Uh, Gio Bernard's worth mentioning only in that he clearly does have the passing down role, uh, and he clearly is the number two back uh, at this point. We can forget about Travion for now. Uh, Bryce Love is just a reminder. He wasn't active, but I think at some point he becomes a factor in this backfield in really deep leagues. I still think he's a good stash. Uh, Josh Adams, uh, we talked earlier, could be a guy over the next couple weeks, depending on the status of Le'Veon Bell. We'll find out more about that uh, probably throughout the course of the day. Uh, we have, Really, the key thing for Adams is what's the status um, you know, of Pirine, and what do they plan on doing with Gore? Hopefully we find out a little bit about that. Uh, Divino Zigbo, I think, is a guy who could be worth stashing in a deeper league uh, if you are relying on Robinson. Uh, otherwise, he would just be sort of a deep league stash. Uh, he does have some appeal to me because I think he's the one other strong runner they have who doesn't have COVID. Um, Jordan Wilkins mentioned him earlier. Uh, in really deep leagues, he could be on the fringe of a pickup. Uh, and Royce Freeman in really deep leagues with um, Lindsay's situation could be um, a pickup now. Um, I, I will probably add another running back or two, if you can believe it, to the late wire, and I will do my best to put these guys in some sort of an order, but again, so much of it has to do with, which is why I'm going through and sort of trying to sort of put, um, you know, a flavor to each one of these guys. Some guys are short-term guys who are going to give you stats. Some guys are in a position where they may be able to move up the death chart and have long-term value. Some guys are stashes who they'll either get healthy or they'll get in the swing of things eventually and could have big value. So depending on what type of player you need, you might go after different players on this list, even players that are down the list because they fit what you're trying to do. So again, horses for courses. Know your league dynamics and have an idea of what you're trying to do with your roster. Okay, let's get into these receivers. Uh, you know, and actually, speaking of receivers, um, let's talk about a guy who's really not a pickup this week. I think he's going to be a guy that many people, including myself, are going to be getting questions on Twitter about, and that's me called Hardman. Um, Hardman is owned at a high percentage. He's not a guy to go pick up this week, um, unless he gets cut in a really deep league, in which case I would pounce on him. Now, Hardman was a guy we were taking earlier than his actual value. Why were we doing that? Not because we expected a week one breakout. We were doing that because he's one of the best stash players you can have on your roster. The whole thing with Hardman is what happens when Tyreek goes down? What happens when Watkins goes down? And one of those guys usually does. Okay, now, could Hardman have weekly flex appeal even with those guys healthy? Hell yeah. Am I worried that uh, Demarcus Robinson played ahead of him in week one? No, I'm really not. We know Demarcus Robinson's going to get playing time. Okay, Hardman is about what's going to happen on that team when injuries hit, really. In terms of him having that, wow, this guy is suddenly a strong third receiver for my fantasy team. That's what he becomes once he's getting more snaps. But here's the thing you just have to remember about Hardman. Why he's a guy who's not going to just go away. Why week one isn't indicative of him suddenly not being in their plans. It's the speed, right? Remember, this team has already lost a running back with 4-4-5 speed. 
when they lost Damian Williams with the COVID thing, right? So they already have a speed element missing from it, right? And the really the, the main speed they have on right now is the cheetah. He's on the field almost all the time, right? Watkins also has speed, but he's not as fast as he used to be. The other Zephyr they have is Hardman. And if you don't think that they're going to be using him to bust people wide open, to take the tops off of defenses when they've got a quarterback who can throw it a country mile from his knees, you know, hey, I've got a bridge I want to sell you, okay? So look, Hardman wasn't a guy we probably should have been rostering in, say, short bench 10-team, 8-team leagues in the first place because he's a luxury item in a league like that. But if you play on a league where you've got reasonable bench space, 10 teams and above, any 12-team league, in my opinion, this is a guy to keep at the end of your bench. He is a stash or an emergency flex. He's not a guy you put in knowing he's going to have a week with a lot of opportunity. But, again... This is a team where you've got two fairly injury-prone players leading the way, and Hardman is a speed element player that they need to get into the mix. But remember, he's a raw player who's still only in his second year, right? I don't know what the game plan was for them in Week 1, but they were facing a tough Texans team, and it's very possible that they said, hey, Week 1, we know... Right, We know that DeMarcus has been around a little bit longer. DeMarcus is a little bit more fundamentally sound. His route tree is a little tighter. They might have just been giving Robinson more time because of the way they wanted to attack that particular team. For all we know, Hardman's going to be a big factor next week, and then everybody's going to be running to pick him up. So do what you want to do. But to me, Hardman was always really a stash, and his value hasn't really changed. So if you need to cut him, Okay, do what you got to do. But to me, his value hasn't changed. He's still a guy to keep in the stash place on your roster. And his upside is huge. It's huge. All right. Let's get into these receivers. First guy up is going to be Mike Williams. Now, we talked about Williams. As it turns out, boy, he played and he looked good. I mean, he looked real good. And as we talked about in the preseason, with the quarterback switch there, and it's important to understand that this goes for both quarterbacks, you know, for as long as Tyrod plays, for sure. And then I also think for Herbert, once he gets in there, these rookie, you know, his rookie game is going to be more suited to, to throwing to a guy like Williams than to time guys coming out of their breaks. The nature of these receivers are different, right? For Keenan Allen to really go off, he needs a receiver who can throw before the break, a receiver who understands the timing of all his routes. Tyrod, not so much that guy, and I doubt the rookie will be either. So Keenan Allen didn't do anything wrong. It's circumstances that are screwing him over. But these same circumstances are good for Williams. Okay, now, what's the trick? The trick is that this guy sells out, lands on his head, lands on his shoulder, lands on his back. Uh, you got to love the way he plays, but it leads to a lot of odd kinetics, okay? This guy hits the ground and other people a lot. He gets blown up because he sells out and lays out for catches, right? So, I think Williams is going to be very effective to the extent that he stays healthy. My advice is if you can pick up Mike Williams, you should do it ahead of most of the guys we're going to talk about. But the way to play him is wait for the big game because, I, I, you know, it's probably coming. Um, I mean, obviously, his week one, you know, w was nothing to sneeze at. Um, you know, he had nine targets, caught four of them for 69 yards. And let me tell you something, he had a couple real near misses in there. If the throw had been better, he'd have had it. Uh, he looked really good. Um, and, you know, for a guy who was, you know, supposed to be banged up, um, we just... He, 78% of the offensive snaps, that number is only going to go up, right? So to me, Mike Williams is a great guy to add. You wait for that one big game, um, and, you know, you could really have something there. Um, and while we're talking, I'm just going to take a quick look. 
uh, at the Chargers schedule, just, you know, because this could be a little bit of a factor. Uh, yeah, he's there in an all-out open game against the Chiefs the w- next week. They're playing Carolina the week after that. So the next two weeks could be really big for Mike Williams. First of all, he's playable. You can just put him in there as your wide receiver three. But if we, if I'm correct and he has a big game next week or maybe in both of the next two games, he's going to be a hot topic. He's going to be a name, and you could sell high on him. So I like the idea of picking up Mike Williams if he's available, but he is by far the only guy available. Uh, Next guy on the list is uh, Jalen Rieger, Eagles. He played, made a big play. Um, Very impressive considering that he wasn't supposed to play for a couple weeks. He is now back. Um, The Eagles obviously were a little bit disjointed. The blocking wasn't there. But they're going to get that offensive line put together. I think Rieger is probably the top of the list for me for all the guys that are out there. Um, You could make an argument that Mike Williams is, you know, maybe a better way to to play it. I but for me, the shiny object is Rieger because he has a chance to become the number one receiver on his team and his team, unlike, you know, San Diego, excuse me, Los Angeles, um, his team is one that may get into a throwing disposition and they could do it pretty well. So to me, Rieger has got a lot of ceiling and I like adding him a ton. Um Gosh, there's so many guys to go through here. Sammy Watkins has as much upside as either one of the guys we just mentioned. He looked great. He played a really good football game. He even laid some blocks. Uh, you know, it's so hard to know with Sammy, you know, is his head in the playbook or his his head, you know, in some flat earth uh, YouTube video. It's it's hard to tell. <laughs> but right now he looks fairly directed. Um, and if you want to try to ride the Sammy's wave, uh, the Sammy wave, I have no complaint with that. Uh, I think um, LaVisca Chenault looked really good. Now, it's, you know, certainly fair to point out, you know, that he only played 62% of the snaps. But I think when you're looking at a guy who from a lot of people's perspective, had an incomplete skill set. I'm not one of those people. But, you know, Chenault is a guy who is still learning on some level because he's one of these guys who does more than one thing. He's not a pure receiver, but not because he couldn't be. He's a, he's not a pure receiver because he can play running back. He can he can play wildcat quarterback. He can do a lot of different things. By the way, he did all those different things week one. So they were throwing the kitchen sink at him. He still played 62% of the snaps, which leaves me to wonder, what could this guy be playing 80% of the snaps, right? So to me, LaVisca Chenault is blinking green. Pick this guy up if he happens to be available. And really, um, he is available in a good deal of leagues. I mean, on Yahoo, he's only rostered in 12% of leagues, which is ridiculous. Uh, And I think, really, there aren't many guys that I like over him uh, right now. Now, there is one, and you guys probably know who it is. We're going to get to him next. Paris Campbell is only available, excuse me, he's only rostered in like 22% of leagues on Yahoo. That's crazy, right? Here's the thing with Campbell. They're lining him up in the slot with Hilton outside most of the time. That slot position is going to give him a route tree that fits better with Rivers than a lot of these other receivers. It's going to put him in a position where Rivers, he's going to be running the routes that Rivers is confident in throwing. That's just like a little, you know, call it luck, call it karma, call it whatever you want to call it. But it's just a little break for our guy Paris. I do think he's going to be in the window for Philip Rivers, and I think that's a good thing. Obviously, he was active. He was targeted. Um, he he led the receivers in snaps. He was targeted nine times, caught six of them for 71 yards. Uh, Paris looked good out there. And you know the funny thing is he didn't even do anything that was all that exceptional. And in a way, that's good. The fact that he didn't have the eye-popping highlight, which he's very capable of doing, hopefully means some people are going to stay away from him on the wire. Now, the funny thing with Campbell and with Chenault is that you guys are listening going, Pete, 
you told us to pick these guys up before. We already have them. If that's the case, great. But the good thing is that if it's not the case, you guys have one more chance to go get these guys. And to me, they look like primary weapons for their teams. Now, I know this thing is getting a little long, folks. We're already nearing the hour mark. I think we're at about 55 minutes. Um, just, you know... Normally, our, the Wave Wire podcast is not this long, but there's a lot to hit this week, and I don't want to leave many players uh, out of the pod. But uh, normally, uh, for you regulars, you know this is normally like about a 30-minute thing. Uh, today, we may push, you know, an hour and 30. Um, but hey, we're going in order, so you can always skip through, hunt and peck, do what you need to do. Um, looking at the Panthers wideouts, I think Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel, similar value. It's hard to tell which one of these guys is going to, you know, have more of a weekly bead on, you know, snaps and touches. I Well, snaps, I think they were both in that 80% area. I think Anderson's 82, Samuel's 75. So both very similar in terms of how much they're playing. Uh, they're both owned at about 30% on Yahoo. So they're out there in a lot of leagues. Uh, I love both of them. It sure looks like that those top three guys are going to be hugely involved in the offense. Obviously, DJ Moore is owned everywhere. But Anderson and Samuel, as we sort of predicted here during the offseason we're more involved than people think this is as i like to say an ensemble offense it's all about bridgewater finding that path to least resistance getting the football out on time and in rhythm and they were really doing that last week i i was really impressed for the first week where you've got the covid a new scheme you know a new quarterback it and robbie anderson new to the mix it you know it worked pretty well i have to say even though they you know they didn't win the game but they were you know the offense was looking pretty good uh and I think, you know, they have a decent schedule. There's going to be a lot of opportunity to use these players. So in mid-sized leagues, I think Samuel uh, and Anderson are both excellent pickups. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, I think when we looked at the status of the 49ers yesterday, the fact that Debo, they're talking about maybe he had a setback, who knows. But, you know, Ayuk is going to, there's going to be significant playing time and opportunity waiting for Brandon Ayuk when he gets out there. And I think it's going to be this week. So I think Ayuk is a pickup in that same area as a lot of these guys were talking about, certainly. Anderson and Samuel, Chenault, uh, Watkins, uh, you know, I think he's worthy of going after. I think you're going to get some bang for your buck with this guy uh, unless he gets hurt again. But uh, the thing with Brandon Ayuk, remember, this is a guy the 49ers paid a significant amount for, and he fits the scheme. He plays football the way they want a receiver to play. You know, after the catch, he's dynamic. He can get downfield and make big plays. So this is a guy who I think could really hit the ground running. Even though he's a rookie, they targeted him. They want him. Uh, they seem to like what he was doing in camp. Obviously, Pettis is not getting it done and isn't really meshed with Garoppolo. So Ayuk, to me, is definitely a guy to go after. Uh, Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, and Alan Lazard uh, with Green Bay. Now, Lazard played more snaps, but MVS was, you know, the more dynamic of the two in terms of playmaking. So it's hard to tell exactly who's going to be more valuable for the long term. It's very clear that it's Adams, Lazard, and MVS. That's going to be the threesome. These are the guys that we want to own in fantasy, obviously. No, no reason to talk about Devontae, and thank you, Devontae, for winning me all that money. But Lazard played more snaps, had a good day. MVS was you know, a little bit more in the 55 snap range, but he looked good. Uh, if MVS continues to play well, his snap numbers will come up. They'll play more three-wide receiver. Maybe he'll even become the second receiver. I don't know. But definitely in big leagues, both of these guys for sure should be owned. In mid-sized, I think m most mid-sized leagues, they should be owned. And in small leagues, probably probably pushing it. Uh, and Kill Harry, 
the Patriots, played 80% of the snaps, didn't do a ton, but you know, he was out there. I have not gone through every snap of that game yet, so I haven't seen what his routes looked like or anything like that. I will try to firm that up in a late update if I can get to it. Today is a challenging day, folks. I, I'm going to do as much as I can for you. Um, but there are going to be some limitations. I will be talking about this stuff tomorrow as well. Uh, I may do a very rare Wednesday AM update of the waiver wire. I'll see. It depends. Um, and for all you folks, I will be on Twitter tonight. So please feel free if any of this stuff is a little bit uh, ambiguous. If you you know are like, eh, I can't tell which one of these guys to go after. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter. I'll do the best I can. Always leave me scoring and league size and bench size. Okay. Um, so in Kill Harry, I think really just sort of holding par in terms of what we think. The important thing is 80% of the snaps, which gives him room to grow with Cam. Uh, Preston Williams, 38% owned. He should be owned, period. Um, especially with the injury to Parker. Preston Williams will be a number one receiver this week. He can play for you as a third receiver in just about any league. Uh, Brashard Perryman on the Jets, 18% owned. Led the Jets receivers in snaps. It was a dysfunctional day for the Jets. There will be more dysfunctional days for the Jets. But what we know is that Perryman's going to play when he's healthy. He's going to com command a fair amount of targets. And he's basically the, the lead outside receiver. He played more snaps than Crowder did. Now, horrible matchup. Again, Jets dysfunctional. He didn't really do very much. But in some of these plus matchups, and, and even against the summer some of the better teams who don't have high-end coverage, Perryman is a guy who can do some real damage. So I think in deeper leagues, he's got to be owned. In mid-sized leagues, I think he deserves a spot on the bench. And he's a guy to keep tabs on in all leagues. Corey Davis. He looked like Corey Davis playing good football, right? Um, having a little fun on the, the written wire with him. Um, but uh, seriously, this is a guy who, in deeper leagues, he should be rostered. In mid-sized leagues, he should be rostered. Are things probably going to sort of swing back to A.J. Brown? Yeah, a little bit. That's probably going to happen. Uh, but Davis is a good player. You know? So, you know, am I moving heaven and earth to get Corey Davis? No, he's been dinged up. This is a team that likes to play ugly. Uh, but again, in deeper leagues, Corey Davis is a guy who really should have been drafted. Um, and I probably should have been higher on him preseason. So, if anybody's out there going, but Pete, you're ranking. Yeah, you're right. Um, Justin Jefferson didn't do a ton but he's available in a lot of leagues. He played 69% of the snaps. The only wide receiver who played more was Thielen. Jefferson's snap rates are going to go up. He's probably going to end, end up somewhere near 100, I think, probably before midseason. And I think this guy is a serious talent who can be a weekly third receiver in deep leagues and can be a flex in mid-sized leagues and probably should be owned in almost all leagues just because of the ceiling. So I think Justin Jefferson is one of those guys where the nature of the week is going to work for us, where we can probably slide in with a, you know, a slightly lesser bid on Jefferson than some of these other guys and get him. He's one of those, just what we were talking about before, don't just look at the guys who went off this week. They're going to command more money. Look at the guys where the usage says they're going to be going off in the future. Jefferson is one of those guys. Uh, Kendrick Bourne played 92% of the snaps. Clearly, he's the wide receiver to own in the 49ers next week. Uh, at some point, I think Ayuk is worth more than him. At some point down the road, I think Debo is worth more than him. But for now... He can be sort of a horses for courses play. Uh, Brian Edwards on the Raiders, only one target, but he led the team in snaps. You know, the thing with Edwards, I think he's a guy to cut in smaller leagues. He's a guy to hang on to and stash in bigger leagues. The next three weeks are going to be tough for him with the Saints, the Patriots, and the Bills. I don't see Derek Carr 
needs him to be open to get him off. Derek Carr is not a big fling-it-down-the-field-and-hope kind of receiver. So, you know, Edwards doesn't have the perfect setup, but he is getting the playing time. I do think when the schedule lightens up, he's got a lot of potential. So I think keeping him rostered in big leagues, in mid-sides leagues with, with good-sized benches makes sense. Uh, but if you're in a short league and you need help next week, the week after, the week after that, I don't think Edwards is going to provide that help. Uh, Steven Sims from Washington played 80, 83% of the snaps. Definitely looked like the second best receiver they've got. I think he's going to continue in that role. In deep leagues, he can definitely help you out. Danny Amendola was the best receiver for the Lions. Uh, but certainly when Galladay comes back, he's going to move down into a different role. Uh, but what we've seen from Amendola is that he's a guy where when they have one injury, he moves you know, into a position where he's going to get dependable targets. So we want to know that. He's a guy you can pick up at certain times and play. If you're a Galladay guy in a really deep league, you could keep Amendola there in case of emergencies. Uh, Miles Boykin for the Ravens. Now, yeah, he didn't do a ton. You know, he four targets, three receptions for 37 yards, didn't find the zone. But he he did see an end zone target that, quite frankly, if it had been a little better thrown or if he had just made a good catch could have been a touchdown uh, and the thing you need to know about Boykins is that he played 40 snaps now that's the most snaps of any Ravens receiver and it may not sound like a whole lot but this was an ugly game where they ate a shitload of clock remember the Ravens only had 53 offensive snaps with Lamar Jackson in there the other six were Robert Griffin snaps where they were just killing the game so we're talking about 59 total snaps he was in there for 40 of them um, after that, Willie Sneed, 39, Marquise Brown at 37. So those are the three lead guys. Willie Sneed is a slot, right? So Miles Boykin is definitely a, a starter on the perimeter here, and he looks like he's taken a jump. It would not surprise me if he started to make some big plays. And if you're in a deep league, I think Miles Boykin's a guy who should be, um, should be rostered, should be on a bench somewhere. And don't be surprised if he's a guy who starts making plays on a regular basis and becomes like a weekly, you know, flex play, um, you know, who can help you out. Okay. So we've hit a lot of names at receiver, uh, but we still got a handful of guys I just want to talk about real quick. Some guys who I thought, you know, were interesting just based on, you know, usage or whatever. Um, mentioned Traquan Smith. Keep an eye on him. Uh, if Michael Thomas is going to miss a game, Smith would be playable. Uh, Russell Gage got enough, enough juice um, where, you know, and obviously had himself a little bit of a day where he could help you in a PPR league if you, you know, if you're in a bind. I thought John Ross looked extremely explosive. He played a lot of snaps. In fact, I don't have it at my fingertips. Let's look it up here. Yeah, John Ross led the Bengals in snaps. He played more snaps than Tyler Boyd, more than A.J. Green. Um, he sure does look like the third receiver on that team. Uh, and we're talking about a quarterback with awareness. Um, if, 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 if Burrow had hit Ross well on that end zone throw, it probably would have been a touchdown. Because when the ball was in the air, Ross just exploded away from the defense. So in a deep league, I like Ross as a stash just in case he catches fire. Because folks... He is, you know, he's a weird receiver. There is some disconnect there sometimes. He'll stop on a route. You know, his, you know, he's still learning how to get his feet right near the uh, sidelines and stuff. But man, can this guy explode. He just, when the ball is in the air, he can just pull away from defenders. He's got so much speed. And on this team where they've got functional route runners in Boyd and big outside weapons in Green and a big-time runner who's going to pull the defense up, having a guy like Ross on the field makes the defense make a hard choice or two. So it doesn't surprise me that he played so much. The thing that surprises me is that he missed so much camp and played so much. So Ross is a guy that, you know, in deep leagues, personally, I'd pick him up if you've got a spot to stack him, but he is definitely a guy to keep your eyes on. If he keeps playing at this level, once this quarterback gets comfortable, we could start seeing 
big plays to John Ross. So just something to think about. Um, Scotty Miller on the Bucks. Now this is interesting, right? Because you've got two tight ends who are going to demand some targets. You've got two alpha outside weapons who are going to demand some targets. You've got a backfield that you're going to need to target your runners a little bit. And then you've got Scotty Miller. <laughs> the guy that half the people in the world didn't even know about until this weekend. Um, now, us, us grinders, we know who Scotty Miller is, of course. He is, you know, <laughs> the quintessential Tom Brady guy. He's a quick little slot, gets out of his breaks, uh, does whatever Tom says. <laughs> and, you know, he, he, listen, in deep PPR leagues, you got to go get this guy. Okay, probably in deep PPR leagues, most everybody we've talked about isn't available, <laughs> and Miller may be. So, the, the one thing we know is if Evans is banged up and the teams are taking Godwin away, Miller can put up a game. We know that because we've seen it now. Um, additionally, you know, <laughs> I don't want to predict this because I think it would be silly because Evans and Godwin are both special kinds of guys, particularly Evans, but. We're talking. We're talking about Tom Brady, who is a very specific quarterback, and we've. You could just see it. He looks at Scotty Miller, and he sees Welker and Edelman. <laughs> There's a comfort factor there. So to me, go get Miller just in case he becomes a thing, because he could. And if there's an injury, I don't think there's any doubt he's going to become a thing. So Scotty Miller could be a nice deep pickup and stash. He could be a guy, for all we know, has weekly flex for the rest of the way. Weekly flex appeal, excuse me. And if I'm a Godwin guy, if I've got Godwin rostered, I don't think you could find better injury protection than Scotty Miller um, if you've got the roster space to take advantage of something like that. Uh, Randall Cobb for the Texans. Now, it's this feels like last week because he played the Thursday game, but um, you know he played a ton of snaps. That's the important thing to understand. He's going to get the opportunity. It's going to come. He's a good fit for that quarterback. The only guy who played more snaps than Cobb was Will Fuller, 47 to his 46. So these guys were both out there most of the time. Um, now Brandon Cooks is, you know, his snap rate is going to come up, but I think the one, who, the person who's going to pay for that, um, is Kenny Stills. He's going to lose snaps. Um, I think Randall Cobb over time is going to form, you know, an on-field relationship, uh, with Deshaun Watson and will become a, a bit more of a factor. So do you need Randall Cobb? No. In deep PPR leagues, if someone cuts him out of frustration, should you go pick him up? Freaking hell yeah. Absolutely. Um, Van Jefferson on the Rams split time with Josh Reynolds, but and they both looked good, to be honest. But that's a situation to monitor because if either one of them can actually wrestle that thing free, they would become fantasy viable in deeper leagues. Uh, Claypool and the Steelers got in there, got some run. Obviously, he's a, an exceptional athlete. Is he worth a stash spot in really deep rosters in case there's an injury on that team? Freaking hell yeah, he is. Uh, Adam Humphreys was very active, played more than he has. Um, it, you know, basically, if you look at last season's numbers, um, so I don't have the snap rates for him, but I know he was out there a lot. I know he got some targets and some catches. So Adam Humphreys is more viable than he was to me a week ago. And then Nelson Aguilar in the Raiders. Obviously, he's a guy a lot of people love to hate, especially if you're for the Eagles. Uh, but he's also a guy who is from the area. Um, well, He's from the area where the Raiders used to be. But he's a West Coast guy. He's closer there now. Um, he's in a new spot. So he can sort of shed all those bad drops that he had. And anybody who ever watched him uh, at USC, this is a guy who made tough catches a lot of the time. He had good hands. 
So it wouldn't shock me if Nelson Aguilar at some point, whether it's via injury, because we know that Ruggs got banged up last week, whether via injury or just outperforming somebody, he could become a thing. This is a guy who's got starter's talent if he can just hang on to the ball. So in a really deep league, I think Aguilar could be a person to look at, particularly if you are depending on any of the Raiders receivers. Uh, that's it for the the wideouts that I was able to write up um, last night when I was watching the game and this morning. Over the course of the day, I may pick up another handful of receivers that add that go onto this list. If I do, I'll try to mention why I added them to the list. And again, I know we're well over an hour. I'm doing my best to keep this short. Uh, we're going to hit some tight ends and we're going to get you guys out of here. Now, as far as the tight ends go, obviously Blake Jarwin went down, so there's a little bit of an issue. Um, for people, you know, if Blake Jarwin is your starter, you got some work to do. If he was your backup, you can sort of decide when you want to go fill that spot. Um, it may make Jarwin a cut where you can pick up a running back or a receiver if your tight end buys later and you can deal with redundancy at the tight end position if and when you actually need it. Um, you know, Dalton Schultz is not a guy who I'm going to really, unless it's a super, super deep tight end premium league. He's just not on the radar for me. Uh, the two guys you want to pick up, obviously, I think are Dallas Goddard, who played 79% of the offensive snaps, nine targets, eight grabs for 101 yards. Uh, guy found his own. I mean, he was just he was a beast out there. I mean, the numbers look good, but trust me, he looked as good as the damn numbers. So Dallas Goddard is a beast, should be rostered pretty much in close to all leagues, unless, you know, maybe a 10-team league where you can only roster a single tight end, maybe he should be on the waiver wire there, maybe. Um, but, you know, he's definitely a guy to pick up. Now, putting this stuff in a little bit of context, Deshaun Jackson wasn't playing full-time snaps, Rieger wasn't playing full-time snaps, uh, you know, Will they be playing this much double tight end uh, if everybody gets healthy? Well, maybe not. But, I mean, let's ask ourselves a question. When was the last time the Eagles got everybody healthy, right? Not to mention, if anything happens to Ertz, and Ertz has had some injuries, Goddard just become, Goddard becomes elite. Uh, I mean, his he was elite last week with Ertz on the field. So, to me, Goddard is a guy you got to go pick him up. He's uh, uh, rostered in over 50% of Yahoo leagues, but he's out there in a fair amount. Same thing with Janu Smith. I mean, he should be taken. If he's not, you go get him. Um, if I had my choice of the two, that's a tough one. Clearly, Goddard is the upside play if he catches a break, but Smith is a guy you can definitely count on every week as being a good option. So, you know, take the one that you like more. Um, so, those guys are clearly at the top. Janu Smith, Dallas Goddard. After that, it's interesting. Um, now, granted, I don't think many of us really need to dip into this. Um, I think Chris Herndon of the Jets is the next guy to go after. He's available in a lot of leagues because he was dinged up at the end of preseason. He played 71% of the snaps to Ryan Griffin's 31, so he's got this thing. Um, he didn't have a great day, but the Bills were all over the Jets. I mean, nobody in the Jets had a good day. The only reason Crowder had a big day is because he got a long touchdown off of what was really a broken play. The Jets didn't do a damn thing out there, um, but that'll change. The Jets aren't playing the Bills every week. Uh, the Jets will be a functional offense against average teams. So the, a lot of their guys are going to be usable and they're going to be free for a lot of you. So, um, you know, Herndon, I definitely think, um, especially over the second half of the season. So if you're, if you're tight end, if you're projected tight end usages for a tight end with a buy in week, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, that kind of thing, uh, I think Herndon could really be a decent guy to have around. Um, 
the next guy for me, this might surprise some people because I think maybe Logan Thomas is a shiny object for some folks. Uh, uh, but to me, the guy to go after might be Jordan Aikens uh, of the Texans. 81% snap rate. That's almost double what Fells came in with at 42. Now, I guess, you know, they were a little bit chasey in that game. But I think Aikens is the guy who's sort of coming around as an offensive weapon. And this is a team that needs more offensive weapons with Nuke now playing uh, for the Cardinals. So I think Aikens is... If you're looking for a tight end who might have some ceiling based on what's available out there, if you can't get one of the two big dogs and if Herndon's not available, I think Aikens could be a guy to pick up. Obviously, Ian Thomas should be getting better as the season goes on. Didn't see enough usage out of him week one where I want to be sticking him in lineups this week or next. So, you know, prioritize him for a later move. I don't think he's a guy to play now. O.J. Howard, 53% of the snaps to Gronkowski, 77%. So... You know, now he outperformed Gronkowski. He looked like the better player. He's younger and all that. Um, and clearly, seeing Howard targeted the way he was, uh, Brady clearly sees some opportunity there uh, to use Howard. So he's a guy who needs to be on our radar. I think he's a really good stash if you've got the bench space. But in terms of plugging and playing him, there's still some risk. Uh, Logan Thomas for Washington, he played 70, 74% of the snaps to Jeremy Sprinkles' 40%. Sprinkles a lifetime tight end. Logan's still learning the position after a couple of years. So that's a really good sign for him that he's already ahead of Sprinkle to that extent. Uh, he did some good things. Four targets for 37 yards and a touchdown. Um, so he's involved. And, uh, you know, if you need some 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 help for at tight end for this upcoming week, uh, Logan Thomas could uh, be a toehold. And for all we know, he's a guy who continues to get, get, um, get better because, again, he's a very athletic guy who's learning the position. For those who don't know, Logan Thomas is an ex-quarterback. Um, and, you know, he doesn't have a ton of quickness, uh, but he's very athletic. He's catching the ball well. And after the catch, he can knock some people around. Obviously, he's a potential red zone target. So Logan Thomas, uh, definitely a guy we can go out and pick up uh, in deeper leagues, mid-sized leagues. Uh, and you can play him right away. Uh, Irv Smith is somebody we got to talk about. Now, I absolutely think Irv Smith is a great talent. Um, he is officially sort of splitting time with Rudolph. They were both in that 60% snap range. Smith only saw one target and one reception in a game where his team was trailing. Obviously, that's not a good sign, uh, and you don't even have Jefferson locked in yet. Uh, so this was what I feared with Smith. Uh, there were a lot of smart people in the industry saying this guy was going to break out. I don't think there's any doubt that someday Irv Smith is going to break out, but the problem is that Rudolph is a better football player than he is right now. It's just a reality. Kyle Rudolph's a big-time football player. I don't know why, you know, they're <laughs> they're not just making him the full-time guy, to be honest with you. He's a better blocker. But they like Irv Smith. They used a lot of draft capital on him. These guys are sort of splitting time. And really, in, in mid-size to small leagues, I think Smith is a good guy to cut this week. To, to get yourself a guy who's more useful, who's got more upside. In deeper leagues, I think he's a stash because, you know, if he starts coming on or if there's an injury to Rudolph, he could really be a thing. And certainly in Dynasty leagues, you're going to hold Irv Smith because someday he's going to be a star for you. Um, so that's going to be it for guys that I wanted to talk about when I started recording this at like 11 a.m. Uh, as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to get back into the article. Um, that will go up probably late afternoon and will be continually updated probably till 7 or 8 o'clock tonight. For anybody who's got questions, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. Uh, I will be around most of the afternoon and evening. Um, with the exception of like mid-afternoon, I do have a doctor's appointment. Should be like an hour, not a big deal. Um, so hopefully you guys are doing well. Hopefully 
you don't have a ton of cuts because you hit your draft so well, but for those of you who did go with that Rotobond strategy and you were aggressive and you had a couple nice clean misses, there you, it is going to be real easy to restock the shelves. The one thing I want to just sort of re, you know, re-emphasize is that next week will probably be almost as good as this week and the week after that will probably be active too. So we don't need to go blowing our wad, you know, at the shiny object tonight. I, I would try to cast a broad net with a value-based approach, especially if you only have a couple cuts. Get a couple guys, fill in those spots with, you know, fill in those guys who we don't like with guys who have some upside, and then we do it all again next week. And within the next couple weeks, we should grind this thing down where we really like our rosters. But just, again, and I've said this a couple times, sorry to be repeating myself, but I just want to say this because normally... I'm a empty the clip early guy <laughs> in free agency because I know I can work ahead of the curve even if I only have scant dollars on hand. But on, on a year like this where we could have a lot of flux at different points in the season, it makes sense, as Al Gore used to say, to have that lockbox and you know keep some extra money just in case you need it later. Uh, think long term. Um, so that's going to do it for the Waiver Wire podcast week one. Um, again, sorry that it went so long, but there was a lot to say. Quite frankly, I could do another hour without a problem, but I think it's better to try to continue, you know, just continue to try to organize the information in the article. Um, as I said, um, our lineup rankings will start going up early this week. I hope to have at least one of them up on Wednesday and then the other stuff going up earlier on Thursdays. Um, and then I'm going to be getting into my DFS content earlier uh, this year as opposed to last year. Might even be throwing in some special stuff on Fridays if we can find the time. Um, so thank you all for uh, being with me on this journey. Go out tonight. Be aggressive but controlled. Don't don't go blowing your wide. But by the same token, make sure you're... And, and this is the important thing. Spend the time. Create bidding groups. If you know if you're you know the, if you're bending, if you're spending 30% on one guy and you, you've got a couple other people right behind him throwing a 20% bid 28 you know, 28% 27 stagger them make sure you get one guy in that big cut spot but set up bids where you're you know you're going to get a guy. Again, scout the rest of your league. See how much action you think is going to be out there. It, you know, know your league mates. If only half your league is going to be bidding and they only have five or six spots that you estimate they need to fill, and you've got 15 guys that you want to go after, then there's going to be value, right? So do the math on that. Um, because again, I think there's going to be a lot of stuff we're going to want to throw at the ball next week and the week after that. Um, and again, hit me up on Twitter if you have any questions. So onward and upward, crush the bidding tonight. We'll see you uh, later in the week for the rankings and the DFS and all that good stuff. So thanks for listening to the Waiver Wire podcast. I've done my work. Tonight's your moment. Go out there. Capture it. Don't let it slip. Giddy up. <laughs>